0: Our text is Ecclesiastes chapter 10, and we're going to work a little ways into chapter 11. Wisdom, we have defined, we've discussed as the skill to navigate life well. The skill to navigate life well. That means that young people can have wisdom regardless of how many days they've lived. Uh, They can have wisdom also, regardless of whether you're wealthy or educated or not. uh, You can have and possess uh, the gift of wisdom. Wisdom. But hey, who needs wisdom when you have technology and a credit card, right? You know, you have that moment, you're like, we have everything we need, we're on a road trip. I got my phone and I got my wallet, you know, we're fine. We do get the impression that sometimes if we just have access to Google and Apple Pay or something, we can just, we'll, we'll make it, we'll be just fine. But to really navigate life well, we need wisdom. To navigate anywhere we need help, and we know that from the earliest of days when Chris and I moved here. Uh, this was, you know, close to a dozen years ago. We needed to uh, purchase a Garmin, uh, a TomTom, or whatever we had. A GPS. That was before. That was a little bit after that original thing called, you know, a folding map. And then, and then there was MapQuest. Ooh, you can print up the directions and look so sophisticated and start all kinds of marital arguments. And uh, and then there was the TomTom. I had a number of friends in their Garmin days would be driving down the road and they would take them to. A body of water, and people would take pictures with their garments saying, Drive straight through here. And you're beginning to doubt whether there's real wisdom in following the Garmin. Now, of course, we have the smartphone, which you can just let it reroute you and reroute you. You could be stubborn. You could be just, you know, completely bent on following the coastline or taking a circuitous route or doing the back road route. And it will eventually get you to where you want to go. It may take a few extra hours, but you can go whatever route you want to and you'll all and we all end up at the same destination. Or do we? Well, we do, and even physically in our own experience and reality as humans, uh, even with the greatest extent of longevity, we all end up in the same place, which is the grave. We all die. But then to look beyond that eternally, we like to think that there is many paths that lead to one place. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible is very clear. Our trajectory on earth is eventually to the grave, that same place, and eternally, there is but one path to one place. Actually, as we, as we work it all out, though, there are clearly two paths and two ending points, right? It's like being on the red line in Boston. There's only two. If you're on the red line, you're either going to Alewife or you're going to Braintree. Actually, there's Ashmon. I just realized that. Uh, so that doesn't work. So forget that analogy. Uh, I think you get the point. I saw a friend of mine this week. They posted a sign that said, in my family, the meals, uh, the choices as far as family meals uh, each night were two: take it or leave it. Right. We never like that. We don't like being forced into decisions that end up you, uh, like something like you either eat this or you starve. Uh, we, we, we're not particularly, uh, you know, bent. We, 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 we chafe at that. But here's the reality. In Scripture, it does simplify things, but it's also the the depth of, of truth and reality. The reality is there are two ways, and we've talked about this at length as we studied wisdom literature and the writings of Ecclesiastes, that there's either foolishness or there is wisdom. There is either unbelief or faith. It ends, the terminus is, either life or death. The terminus is either eternal life or there is destruction, and condemnation. These are ethical things, right? These are moral, spiritual, eternal matters. This isn't just something that we take up as, you know, a course of opinion or a collection of sentiments. We're saying, no, we want to understand and discern something that is of eternal value and truth. As, uh, there's been a consistent theme that is, is coming out of chapter 9 and now into our text this week, which is chapter 10. By the way, does anyone have the page number that it's on our text in the Pew Bible? If someone could read that from the order of service. 662 or 562? Or 558. So one of those somewhere in that vicinity is Ecclesiastes 10. And you'll need it open. The theme at the end of chapter 9 and end of chapter 10 is the illustration of those two things. It's wisdom versus foolishness. And even all the references that we're about to read that, that pertains to the rich or the rulers or the poor or you know, the hired hands, we see clearly that there is wisdom and foolishness at every location and every level of life. And why is that? How can that be? Except that the foundation of wisdom, the source of how we live our lives, is tied to our, not our circumstances or our knowledge, but our heart. Notice in our text this morning, in verse 2, it says, The heart of the wise inclines to the right but the heart of the fool to the left. No offense, left-handed people, uh, but the, 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 that's, that's the imagery. The right connotates something of strength here. If wisdom is a matter of the heart, which means it's not merely a matter of knowledge, then wisdom demonstrates and percolates and pro, you know, it, it comes up through our choices. Wisdom, it comes up through our character and our, our, our conduct. To be a fool In the biblical sense, to be a fool is not simply to be dumb or lacking information or education. In fact, you could be remarkably intelligent, altogether educated and credentialed. You could be, in many people's estimation and according to their own judge of merit, a very sophisticated person. And yet still, in your heart, a fool. Because a fool is lacking knowledge that leads to righteousness. A fool is someone who's lacking knowledge that leads to righteousness. So to be a fool is not really someone to be pitied because you've got a a lame brain, as my dad used to refer to, a lame brain problem. It's that you actually walk in evil. And against the truth. Elsewhere, King Solomon, who we have been assuming is the writer here in Ecclesiastes as well. It's elsewhere in the book of Proverbs that he writes, A fool finds pleasure in evil conduct, but a man of understanding delights in wisdom. And it's the prophet Isaiah who writes, For the fool, Isaiah 32, 6, The fool speaks folly. His mind is busy with evil. He practices ungodliness and spreads error considering the Lord. Here's a particularly, a particularly famous verse. Proverbs 14, 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Why? Why does the fool say that? Because he doesn't want there to be a God. Not that it's not believable. It's just not desirable. Because frankly, if there is a God, I and we will be held accountable. And I have to live as though a God exists. So one of the reasons that we should be careful in applying and using and throwing out the word fool is because it's just so bad. It's grave. So this is kind of what I wanted to establish by way of kind of introduction. Before we dig into this passage, I do want to try to pull out some things by way of understanding and application Concerning the the problem and the the trajectory of the fool, and I want to list actually three overarching problems that the fool has. So here's the outline even before I read the text. It's listed in the order of service as well. But the fool prefers three things. Broadly speaking, the fool prefers strength before skill. The fool prefers talking before listening. And then last, the fool prefers feasting before Working. So, why don't you stand? Let's see if you might hear or see these things as we read through this portion of God's Word. Ecclesiastes 10 Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. He says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and if it were an error proceeding from the ruler, folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses, princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt, the one who does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouths win in favor, but the lips of a fool consumes him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him. He does not know the way to the city." Verse 16, woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. The sloth, excuse me, through sloth, the roof sinks in and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. Are we paying attention? Uh, verse 20, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom, curse the rich for a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's ask his help. Lord, would you please give us light, uh, the light that comes by the work of your spirit so that we would surrender more of our lives Uh, to you and to Jesus, who is our wisdom and our righteousness. Would you give us, Spirit, Holy Spirit, your light, so that we would be a light and a ray of hope to people around us? For Christ's sake, I pray. Amen. One of the greatest uh, works of English literature of all time, one of the greatest books ever written, uh, is a book that I love by John Bunyan, 16th century. It's called Pilgrim's Progress. Most of you have heard of it. Pilgrim's Progress, it was actually written by John Bunyan while he was serving 12 years sentence in prison for religious reasons of religious persecution. In the story of Pilgrim's Progress, which is an allegory, uh, there is a man who is on a pilgrimage. His name is Christian. Christian is leaving the city of destruction and he's en route to the celestial city, uh, to home, to, to, to God. I remember reading it as part of actually my... A secular English high school literature class. Uh, I later read it again when I was in grad school, and then I read it again uh, to some of uh, my kids when they were, uh, some of my older boys when they were younger. I, now I'm now in my 40s, and I need to read it again. In the story, in the allegory, a Christian, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm commending it to you, all right? This would be a good investment of your time to read this literature. In the story, Christian, and his he has different companions along the way, but one of them is faithful. They've made their way through various journeys, trials, tribulations, temptations, and now they have made it to a particular town called Vanity. They've been in the wilderness, now they're in the town of Vanity, and on their way to the celestial city. You can't go around Vanity, uh, you, have to go, you have to go through the town. And in the town, uh, there is a lustful fair. It's called Vanity Fair. A little bit different than the Marshfield Fair, okay? Uh, I'm sure there's, there's fried food there, which is delightful uh, if you're feasting. And there's lots of feasting that goes on at the Lustful Fair. At Vanity Fair, if you go there, uh, you can get anything, any, any source of, of, of pleasure or leisure or if you want power, if you want entertainment, it is all there. Trouble and temptation await everyone. And so Bunyan describes this place. He says... It's a fair wherein all sorts of uh, things are sold, he says, such as merchandise, houses, lands, trades, places, honors, preferments, titles, countries, kingdoms, lusts, pleasures, and delights of all sorts as whores, balds, wives, husbands, children, masters, servants, lives, blood, bodies, souls, silver, gold, pearls, precious stones, and whatnot. And moreover, at this fair is at all times to be seen juggling cheats, games, plays, fools, apes, knaves, and rogues, and that of every kind. It's a picture of a broken, fallen, sensual world. It's a picture of Ecclesiastes 10. It's a picture of our modern society. It's an ancient city. It's still around. It's still there. It reflects our modern society. When Christian... In the story of Pilgrim's Progress, is there. He and Faithful arrive. They look different than the people in the city. They stand out as followers of, of, of Jesus. They stand out. And so one of the merchants, one of the vendors, comes up to them and says, So what are you gonna buy? What are you in the search of? And Christian says, We came to buy truth. To which they are immediately mocked. Ridiculed And even worse, they're beaten up. This is what happens. There's taunting. Bunyan writes, they're speaking reproachfully. Some of them call others to smite them. They took them. They beat them. They get thrown into prisons for some kind of trumped up charges of violating the customs of, of the town and the city. Everyone's angry with them. But Christian and faithful, Bunyan writes, behaved themselves yet more wisely. And they received the humiliation and shame that was cast upon them with meekness and patience. And then they ended up winning people to their side as a result. Made him even more angry. His companion, Faithful, uh, sorry to tell you this, was uh, burned at the stake. But as they leave the city, he finds a new companion, a man whose name is changed to hopeful. Because he was converted. He saw the example of Christian and faithful in the city And all the nonsense of that place. And he was converted. And he followed and continued on to the celestial city with him. Go read the rest for yourself. But Hopeful was a miserable slave at the lusty fair. He was changed because of the conduct of these two men. The faith of these two men. Folks, I don't know how to say this other than just as straight as I can put it. The world hates the truth. The truth is only to be sought or served when it serves our interest or our agenda or our identity or our cravings or our pleasures. And when someone asks a question about truth or wisdom or what honors our creator, we say that's a joke. That's not relevant. The only thing that matters is what makes you happy. People don't want to know the truth. They want to know what is it that helps me define my own future longings, happiness, fulfillment, fill in the blank. The prophet Isaiah 5 in the Old Testament says, Woe to those and woe to that day what people call evil good and good evil. And then in the New Testament, we hear the Apostle Paul say in Romans 1.18 that there will be a time when people suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We don't want it to be true. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to be confronted with it. Things get corrupted by folly. That's what we find here in the opening verses. Just a little bit of folly is dangerous and threatening. Why? Because it's deceptive. Look at it. Verse 1, there's a fly. There's that phrase that sometimes you maybe have heard. Uh, used there's a fly in the ointment all it takes is the dead carcass of a fly to spoil that which is precious an ointment or a perfume that was used to cover up that scent is now a rancid nasty smelling thing just because of one or two flies in other words a little folly as he puts here outweighs wisdom and honor It can take a long time to build something, it takes very little to ruin something. Right? It's so true in life, right? Even think about someone who is a noble, you know, honorable, you know, leader. It's 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 one emotional, you know, hasty decision, a mistake. And so much can be ruined. A person's reputation, it impacts other people, divides people, hurts people, ruins, divides families, ends marriages. It happens, it happened even to Moses in the book of of Numbers. He, he, in an impulsive moment of, of anger and frustration with God's people, he's hasty, strikes the rock, and God says, okay, the people are going into the promised land, and you got them this far, but you yourself... Will not be going. Think of it. Think of it. Where we are right now. I've I've heard a number of news articles. All right. I I know you didn't come here to get worked up or fearful, and that's the last thing I want to do because that's what the news wants you to do. But let's just think about it, just for a moment. We're living in a world where all it would take is for one foolish leader, in a moment of emotion and haste, to 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 set off a nuclear war. That's, that's, that's wisdom and folly on display. Aren't you glad God and God alone is in control? That, that gives me comfort. I sleep pretty well. I don't typically read or watch the news, but you know, even when I do, I'm okay. Praise God, he's in control. Now back to the fool and back to our outline here. The fool, first of all, prefers strength before skill. There's a parable that happens that we read last week in chapter nine about someone in a city. The city is under threat. There's many, many enemies. And there's one person there who gets advice from an unlikely source who is a poor man, but the man is wise. And it brings for the city deliverance and freedom and life. And is the man celebrated? Yes, but he's soon forgotten. Interestingly enough, danger you know, is past. I'll read the... Uh, what happens. It says, but I say that wisdom is better than might through the poor man's wisdom, though though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard, it says that wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Just, Just one. And it's often the person that we would esteem as strong or persuasive. The parable is not just a moral tale about How good we should be. It's a story that demonstrates what humans are like. One sinner easily comes and calls and corrupts people away from truth and wisdom. In verses 5 and 6 here in chapter 10, we witness how foolishness appears even in the strength and the authority of earthly rulers. There is an evil, verse 5, that I've seen under the sun. As it where an error proceeding from the ruler folly is set in many high places and the rich sit in the low place. So it's, it's, it's strength before skill. That foolish way of working and the mode of operation that says in verse 10, right? What is verse 10? Look at it. It says, if the iron, which is referring to an ax, some of you chop wood, if the ax is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, verse 10 says, he must use more what? more force, more strength. Is that safe? Well, no, it's not only, it's inefficient, it's, it's, it's altogether dangerous, but the person is saying, I'm strong, I'm sufficient, and that can lead to hastiness and carelessness about our work. There's everyday encounters listed right here in our text in verses 8 to 10 of chapter 10. 8, 10, and 11 are all talking about just run-of-the-mill things, right? Remodeling a house and a wall. It's talking about cutting wood and harvesting stones. Except that the strong-headed fool who's not talking about preparation, who's not taking extra steps to read instructions, to seek advice, to sharpen the axe. So just let's just bust in this wall. And, and what happens in the remodeling project? A snake comes out and bites him. An axe comes and, you know, lops off, you know, part of his leg. You get the picture it, it is precar- it's dangerous. It's that moment when the guy who's really strong and brawn and invincible, and I'm not going to mention how old I think the guy is, but he says, here, hold my beer. Watch this. I'm going to go inside now. Now, this is not good. Do I want to go ahead and call 911? Strength before skill. Second thing that a fool prefers here in our text is talking before listening. If you you listen before talking, it can change a number of things. So is true, vice versa. Verse 12, The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consumes him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness. At the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what is to be after him. This is all to say that the fool, particularly about the consuming, multiplying nature of his words, the fool in the number the number of his words are in inverse proportion to the extent of his true understanding. So the more that he talks, the more that he articulates, the more that he expounds that he knows, actually exposes how little he understands. The foolish tendencies of our heart are conveyed in very tangible areas of speech. It always shows up in our speech. And God says that a know-it-all is a fool. Proverbs 18, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Tell me the Bible is not relevant. Tell me the Bible, and be careful, I know you're trying to apply this to some co-worker, or in-law, or supervisor, But let's let's be careful. Let's apply this to ourselves. And I'm going to be getting there in a moment, so track with me. But if you're talking to be heard or you're speaking or if we're articulating things to be impressive about who you know or what you know or just fill in the space, then you're not only insecure, but you're in danger. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 20. Even in... Even in your thoughts do not curse the king nor in your bedroom curse the rich for a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature How did you find out What do we say A little a little birdie told me Oh that's out of Ecclesiastes It's true Why I mean I'm not too particularly concerned about birds But the teacher is obviously saying that if you think bad things, they're bound to make its way to your mouth and potentially come out and be uttered in the form of things like gossip. I'm just going to tell a little, little secret. Just one person at a time. Think about this with social media. What you post, how you respond, what's put out there, it'll always make its way back to you. Just assume that. Work from that beginning point. Proverbs seventeen twenty eight. Even a fool is considered wise if they would just shut their mouth. I, I say this as a person who is talking a lot. Not just on Sundays. You are, you're my friends, you're my family, I, I take it. It's more about a heart problem for the fool of pride than a mouth problem of articulation. So I want to encourage you today, let's let God work on our hearts so that we might listen to him and other wise, godly people around us. If you don't have those, again, Proverbs has wisdom. Bad company corrupts good morals. So choose wisely your friends and listen. Third thing, a fool prefers something else. Not only does he prefer strength over skill and talking over listening, but a fool prefers feasting before working. There's, there's a, I know these strange proverbs about a snake charmer and stones, and, but they're just simply speaking to the everyday task of digging and demolition and splitting wood. It's, it's showing that it's, it's not a result of true satisfaction, but it can even lead to, to injury. But it's saying that all the more hazardous in life, all of life is hazardous, but it's even compounded all the more by foolishness because we can easily get trapped in a ditch. Not, not literally, well, I guess that too, but figuratively. Sin, my friends, is deceptive and it's entrapping. And all of it manifests in various areas like our speech we've talked about, but also in our work. When we're prone and we we, we see exposed laziness or sloth. We read here in the text, verse 15, The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Now, what does that mean? If you think about it in the ancient Near Eastern context, what would you have to do to exchange things and to operate commerce and to do business, except you would have to go into the city? You'd have to know your way there. You'd have to be familiar with that. This is not the days of Uber Eats and Amazon. This is a person who has spent so little time going about the the business affairs and responsibilities. They don't know how to get to the city. They're sitting with their feet propped up. Same thing in chapter 11. If you look there at verse 4, he who observes the wind or simply looks at the clouds, they won't reap or sow anything at harvest. Because they've been, you know, chillaxing. There's nothing, by the way, wrong with enjoying the fruit of our labor to, to work. We've already been commended about that in Ecclesiastes earlier. In the right order, in the right fashion. But again, the fool has got all of this out of order. Look at again the text, verse 18 of chapter 10. Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, laziness, the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and the wine gladdens everything. And money, excuse, wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Now, there's a verse that we love to plick, just pluck right out of Scripture and take completely out of context or understanding. Boy, this is one of them, right? Verse 19, money answers everything. But I want to caution you to, you know, slow down. Let's, let's look at the original context and the original language. Because in Hebrew, that word for everything, kol, could be translated all, as in everything, but it's really translated best both, as a choice between two options, which helps us clarify this passage. So if you were to have a more literal reading of this, it would say, For laughter they prepare food, and wine brings joy to living, and money meets the demands or answers both of them. So the implication here of verse 19 is that the roof sagging at this person's house, essentially leaking because money has been used not for house repair, but for partying and feasting. So it's out of order. It's out of sync. And money can't fix that. So it's persuasive that in verse 16, it's in fact, it's so, not persuasive, pervasive, that in verse 16, even the leaders are feasting Early in the day, getting drunk in the morning in the middle of a work day. And then in chapter 11, verse 6, it says, we don't have any guarantees that our labors are going to bring us joy or happiness or, or stability. Why? Because it's all vanity. It's, it's, it's fleeting. It's, it's, te- it's, it's temporary. It's a vapor, we've said. But we do know that ultimately, folly leads to death and problems eternally. So in the end, it's sad but true that in the fallen world, back to verse 1 of chapter 10, what does it say there? That a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. That in the sense that the hearts of people, ordinary people and rulers and leaders, can be carried away. Wisdom, or I guess you could say the lack of wisdom or foolishness, is birthed in the heart. Notice it didn't say, in in, in verse 2, it didn't say that the foolishness or the wisdom was birthed in their head or their hand or their circumstances. It's in the core of our being, which the Bible calls our heart. That operating not just for our affections, but our choices and priorities. That's the location of the heart the core of our being. It shows up in our priorities, our character, our conduct. If you're honest with yourself, and I hope that right now we're, we're open to being persuaded by God's spirit and his word, that some of the problems of foolishness can be witnessed at times, not out there, or that other person we have in mind, but right right here, with you and with me and, and some of our choices, some of our conduct. We don't want to admit it, but there's... One of the reasons we don't want to admit it is because we'd have to change something. We'd have to address it. We like to think that the problem is always out there. And with them, not us. Recently, I was, I was with two men, two men that I really respect. And, uh, and one of them said to the other man, and I know it was from a place of love, but it was hard. He said to the other man, Have you ever considered that sometimes you tend to resemble the very people you criticize? ouch I thought to myself man there is definitely some times that people could say that to me and it would be true don't get any ideas <laughs> remember a few weeks ago I, we were talking about the problem of, of materialism right? and I asked you I, I posed an, a point of application I said why is it Consider for yourself why is it so easy for us to identify and locate and see illustrated in other people's lives the problem of materialism but overlook and not see it in us. Friends, foolishness, we've dabbled in it, we've walked in it, many times we've been trapped in our own folly. We know that we know that folly has brought us guilt and shame, consequences that we, we, we never would have wanted, heartache and headache. We talk about God being in control, and that's true. We talk about all the things that we wish we can control, and we can't, including ourselves. And that's what we call self-control, a fruit of the Spirit. Not a fruit of determination and and self help books, but a fruit of god 's spirit at work in us, and all I want to say is, have you fallen into a pit? Have you been bitten? Have your words there have, have things that you have done? not if when when has this happened for us that we have had an emotional, rash decision, and it 's gotten us in trouble. I want to tell you Satan would love for you to just now and then give up. Just surrender. Just go ahead and wallow in the folly. It's easier that way. We need to be alert. We need to be aware. We need to be watchful. That's why we're studying wisdom literature. Because the the voices of, of advertisements and culture... And the emotions that are within us at times cannot be trusted. Although we don't see it blatantly here in our text, I think it's very true of our culture that we love soundbite information and not the deeper things of wisdom. Is that not true? Think about it. One scholar and commentator I read, Ian Proven, had some excellent reflection on this just as as, as a problem of our own contemporary culture. He writes, the information highway runs directly through our homes in the forms of TV and internet, but there is too much traffic and it moves so fast that we're likely to find ourselves playing the role of a dead squirrel caught beneath its wheels than the role of a daring hitchhiker. It's a world in which no one ever thinks to ask whether 24-hour news channels are a good thing. It's just obviously assumed that it is. It's a world in which it is self-evident that information technology is, more, is a more important school or college subject than philosophy. Which, in the world, have you heard the latest, that phrase, have you heard the latest is a more pressing question than do you know the truth? Proven writes, the truth is that we have never known so much and understood so little. We live in a world, in fact, in which wisdom, at least insofar as it derives from authority and tradition, is routinely suspected, mocked, and despised for living in vanity fair. And and even if we believe ourselves utterly convinced that we're not a fool or influenced by it, I beg to differ. We demonstrate that we are listening so intently to fools on talk shows and YouTube and TikTok and pop psychology and all these novel ideas instead of the truths of all times, the, the, the ancient text. And in the chaos of information and temptation and Vanity Fair, I'm telling you, we desperately need a storyline that helps us piece together all of the noise and all of the chaos and all the sentiments and all of the opinions. It's a larger story that we can inhabit where there is a loving, sovereign God, an author whom we know. We all need wisdom. We need wisdom that's before us chronologically. We need wisdom that's outside and around us relationally. And we desperately need wisdom that is above us, authoritatively, that we submit to. And even if we possess the benefits of wisdom, and many of us do, thanks be to God. It's still limited. It's still appropriated by men and women. But when it is applied, when wisdom is applied to us by the Lord, it is to life. It is to us life. And just as... At the end of chapter 9, it says that all it takes is that one, right? It's the one fly. It's the, it's the one leader, the one person, right, who can destroy, chapter 9, verse 18, much good. Praise be to God. All it takes is one to corrupt so much. But praise be to God that in his design, in his economy, in his gracious mercy, it also, in another way, only takes... One to liberate and to restore and to redeem. And who is this? Well, if you go back to Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress, remember? No one comes to the city, the Vanity Fair, unscathed, except for one. The Prince of Princes himself, when here, Bunyan writes, went through the town. To his own country, and that upon a fair day too. Yea, and as I think, it was Beelzebub, the chief lord of the fair, that invited him to buy of all his vanities. Yea, would he have been, he would have made him, the prince of, of prince, lord of the fair, would he have done to him the reverence that he went as he went through the town. It's a picture. Bunyan is drawing from Matthew when Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted and he refuses the lies of Satan and the enemy. Friends, contemplate that great hope for us that Jesus, not just as an an example, but Jesus as our Redeemer, as as our Savior, he went through all of his life and there was never a moment, there was never a day, there was never a temptation, there was never... A compounding stress and pressure that he acted, thought, felt anything foolish. He would believe no lie. He would succumb to no alluring. He, he, you think of all the sins that we've committed internally, audibly with our mouths. And we have a king and a savior who has never done that. The God-man Jesus always preferred listening and working and obeying the wisdom of his heavenly Father. Why is that good news for us? Because that's where we can boast. That's where we can take refuge. It's told to us in 1 Corinthians 1, the apostle Paul, inspired of God, says, It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, hidden, secure. By repentance and faith, you can be united to Christ. Maybe you're not. Today's the day. That in united to Christ, he has become for us wisdom from God. That is Christ, our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. When Christ, my friends, is our wisdom, his wisdom is applied, yes, to our foolishness, and that is a good thing. But we gain more than simply knowledge and skill we gain forgiveness think about that be united to christ isn't to gain we don't get infused with more information that distinguishes us we are infused and brought an imputed righteousness to us that is not our own christ record christ flawless wisdom is to us that is not new news for our foolish ways, but it is good news. And so I just, before we come to the Lord's table, the sacrament, I want us to, to pray and to give thanks, to boast right now in the Lord, who is our wisdom. And it's okay to say, Lord, I'm, I, I've, I've been a fool. I've, I've acted in foolish ways. Have mercy. Father, we do pray that. We wanna be boasting in the perfection of our Savior, our King Jesus, His righteousness, His holiness, would you forgive us Lord our foolish and wicked ways frankly that that show up in our daily lives. Forgive us for being smug and arrogant and condescending to people that we thought were fools when we sometimes resemble the very things that we judge and criticize. Have mercy Lord please would you impress upon us our hearts a hunger and a thirst for that which is wise and beautiful and holy and pleasing in your sight, and not in our own estimation. Lord, we, we love you, and if we love you, it's by faith. Would you please grow us in love and faith? Because we know that you first loved us in Christ, and it's in him and through him that we ask all these things, saying together, even as we pray that prayer he taught his disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our day.